The president's got a brand new retirement bag. And you? Well, you're in the right place because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This here is David Hansen. As always, your show is brought to you by The Motley Fool. We've got a special report for you from The Motley Fool. Email warren at fool.com. That's Warren Buffett's first name, warren at fool.com, and you'll get a special report on Warren Buffett's greatest wisdom. David, as we revealed on the show yesterday, coming up next week, next Wednesday, it'll be the 100th episode of Where the Money Is. Mm -hmm. And we're having a little competition. Uh, I have to correct myself a little bit, though. Yesterday I said that it would be a random drawing for the competition. We cannot do that. There's some legality around random drawings and lotteries and the such. So it's the same, same deal as yesterday. Tweet us, at TMF Financials is our Twitter name. Uh, find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services, or email us, WTMI at Fool.com, or go multi-channel yes. for, for bonus. And we'll pick out the most creative, foolish uh, response we get to what do you like the most about where the money is. And the winner gets... Oh, yes, of course, there is a prize. No, 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 it's just... Just, just make us, us feel just good. Just let us know. Just let us know how good. The winner will get a special, mm-hmm. limited edition, Where the Money is sweatshirt. Very limited edition. Very limited edition. There will be three of them. Sweatshirt, cool. All right, uh, on to the headlines. On that note, the first headline of the day we've got from the Wall Street Journal. Obama announces new MyRA retirement accounts. Um... I don't know whether to start this with yawn or that. You're taking that position. Yeah. So, so the MyRA, it's a, it's a new government, uh, government-backed retirement account. Basically, people can put money into it like any other retirement account. It's guaranteed not to lose value. And then it's invested in, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the fund. It's the thrift something or other. The thing that sticks out in my mind, though, is mm-hmm. that the, the option that they have, that, that this is, it's not really an option, what this is invested in returned 1.47%, I think it was mm-hmm. last year, and averages just over 3% returns per year. Mm-hmm. And in the Wall Street Journal's account, uh, it says the accounts would be geared towards people who are just starting to save for retirement. If you're just starting to save for retirement, your focus should not be on, I don't want this to go down at any point in time, right. at, regardless of what the returns is, buy an index fund. Get a low-cost index fund. You can do that in a regular retirement account. I, I don't like this idea. All right, I'm not going to be completely cynical. You should. Like you. I, I'm not cynical. I'm upset over it. Can I take it. some positives? I'm upset that, they're going, that, that, that the government is encouraging this kind of quote-unquote savings. Can I get some yeah, positives? Go, yeah. He at least mentioned saving for retirement in the speech, so we can give him a thumbs up on that. That's important. Um, you're not retiring if you're putting your money into that. Uh, we, I'm we, done. I'm done. Okay, go we ahead. We should say that once it hits $15,000, supposedly, it gets transferred into, you have to move it to a private sector. I don't think that's supposedly. <laughs> well, the, the White House hasn't introduced their, their exact language yet. This is all kind of reported from the Wall Street Journal and some other outlets. I, I'm with you. I'm not sure this really changes behavior. If you really want to save for retirement today, you can go do it with a Roth IRA, a regular IRA, if you don't have a 401k through work. So I'm not sure this really changes much, especially since people aren't, I don't think people are going to be automatically enrolled in this. You have to opt in and say, I want to be part of the My RA program. So maybe it does something, but I'm with you. It doesn't seem like the best plan in the world. Well, it's, for me, it's not even just about, does this change anything? It's... It, I don't think it will. I think you're right. If, if, you want, if you want to make people save for retirement, you don't have them opt in. You have them opt out. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of proven. My concern is that 
selling this as here's this government option, you'll never lose value, you'll never lose value in the account, blah, 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 that people, instead of doing a regular retirement account where you can buy things like stock index funds um, and have a, have a balance in your account that will actually grow a reasonable amount over time, they're going to be shifting it over to this government plan that if, if you're investing this way, you're not going to retire. That's my, that's my thought on it. And on that note, let's go to the second headline. Second headline. Matt is all fired up. I am here. fired up. S&P slash, slash Case Schiller. U.S. home prices dipped slightly in November. And that's month to month. So from October, they dipped ever so slightly. I think it was crashing. Point, the housing market's crashing. 1%. However, year over year, up over 13% for the 20-city composite that's Almost comprised in there. Right? Almost 14%. Almost 14%. Uh, quite impressive. So continuing to see year-over-year home prices move double digits. Uh, the article from Forbes there did point out that Stan Humphreys, uh, the economist over at Zillow, said that we're starting to see housing markets become a little bit less correlated. Not everything's moving up in double-digit fashion anymore. Some institutional investors like Blackstone, uh, the single-family REITs, are scaling back a little bit in terms of what they're buying. So there's a little bit less competition in some housing markets. Buyers maybe are going to get a little too used to Home prices are just going up double digits. Mm-hmm. So he's, he says he's starting to see a little bit less correlation. So maybe some markets will go up 10% next year. Maybe some will go up 3%. So something to be aware of. 13.8% year over year. That's hot like fire, David. That is hot. I, I'm actually, this is, it's one month and it's November. The, the winter months tend to be uh, tougher for the real estate market. But I, I'd actually like to see the housing market. Cool, cool, it's, uh, cool its jets just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want, like you were saying, we don't want people to get used to just this idea again of the housing market is the way that you can make unlimited riches. Right. Um, I think uh, shows like Flipping Las Vegas certainly don't, uh, don't help with that. They don't. Third headline of the day, we're going over to DealBook. And this is Mark Andreessen writing in DealBook. The, the headline is Why Bitcoin Matters. And David, we've talked a lot about Bitcoin here. What's interesting here about the, this article from Andreessen, Andreessen, as it notes at the beginning, owns a de minimis amount of Bitcoin. I don't know exactly what that means. For a guy as wealthy mm-hmm. as uh, Andreessen, my, my, yeah, we should my, say that my, entire, a... my entire annual salary may be a de minimis amount uh, to, to market. We should say who he is. He's a pretty big, well, I guess you call him venture, venture capitalist. capitalist. Yeah. Uh, so for him to come out and put this on a big website like this saying that he believes in the future of Bitcoin is kind of a big deal for the But not, but not surprising, currency. given how right. much Andreessen Horowitz, which is the VC firm that he's a principal at, right. has invested in not Bitcoin, but Bitcoin-related ventures, so, so companies that operate in and around Bitcoin. He makes a very compelling case here, and, and a lot of his cases around uh, what I've latched onto and, and mentioned before on this show is Bitcoin not so much as a currency, but as a way to exchange value between mm-hmm. parties. And thinking about it in those terms, and, and, and again, I actually encourage uh, WTM Myers to, to go track down this article and, and check it out. It's, it's a good read. It's an interesting read if you have uh, any interest in Bitcoin. But you got to wonder. You, you think about this. eBay's PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, the credit card companies. And, and, and you know, I, I say Visa and MasterCard in particular because they are reliant. They're, they're all about the payment network, the, mm-hmm. the, the technology part of it. Whereas you look at some of the others like American Express, where a lot of that is loans, a lot of that is sort of more like a banking aspect of it. So Bitcoin doesn't necessarily replace the lending aspect of it, mm-hmm. the, the revolving loan part. But it has the potential, I think, to disrupt 
something like Visa and MasterCard because of the, the, the exchange aspect. Yes, I think that's possible. And we talked about how Visa and MasterCard make their money just a couple of shows ago. And that 2 3% that happens in the transaction, some of it goes to Visa and MasterCard, some of it goes to the banks, some of it goes to the merchant's bank. So it's obviously not the best case for a merchant when you're losing 3% of what you just sold off the bat. So obviously there's some room for some improvements there. Maybe Bitcoin is that medium. Uh, one of my big, big concerns is customers adopting Bitcoin. As you and I going into a store... I don't see the motivation for us to use Bitcoin as opposed to swiping our credit card. Because to us, we get our goods and we pay the price that we need to pay. It doesn't matter whether we pay with Bitcoin or dollars. So I think that's one problem. But in terms of disrupting... Well, so, sorry to interrupt, but um, when, when you think about these headlines, like the, the credit card right. stolen from Target, and granted, customers are protected. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to be liable for fraudulent charges uh, stemming from that. But customers that are scared by that, they may look at Bitcoin as an alternative and say, well, hey, I can't. Is anyone really scared of that, though? I haven't heard anyone saying, I'm never using a credit card again. Mm. Uh, My second point was Visa and MasterCard getting disrupted. That would also be dependent on them just sitting back and saying, we don't want anything to do with Bitcoin. We're not going to do anything. These are companies that are enormous that have a lot of cash, too. So maybe they get involved with Bitcoin. They don't have to only use traditional currencies here. So maybe Visa and MasterCard figure out a way that they can get their hands in the, in the Bitcoin game as well. One thing that's interesting about Bitcoin, too, is that when you think about, so, so Visa and MasterCard have these uh, processing systems in place, and it's, uh, it's a technology business, like mm-hmm. I said. That it's not that that doesn't exist within Bitcoin, it's just that it's distributed. Right. So the Bitcoin mining, that's not really, obviously it's not really mining, you're not actually digging anything out. But what's basically happening is people are being rewarded for providing the computing power that, that, that basically powers the exchange of Bitcoin and right. the, the ledger that Bitcoin uh, creates to track all of these, uh, to, to track who owns what and where all of the Bitcoins are, right. basically. All right, moving on to our focus for today. We still have, it's still earnings season. We've got tons of earnings reports rolling in. So I figured we'd focus on a few Earnings reports that W.T. Myers may have missed or not looked uh, totally closely at. David, what's your first on the list? First on the list, I'll group them. Got Evercore and Greenhill, both smaller investment banks. Both reported earnings this morning. Got a little bit of a different story. I think Greenhill, last I looked, was down 6% or so. So people not thrilled with the results. Advising revenue uh, decline year over year, uh, as opposed to at Evercore, up year over year revenue. Uh, net income. Up. <laughs> also, also at Evercore, deals uh, uh, that generate over one million dollars in fees that was up year over year. So they're advising a bigger pool of clients. I think I said a couple shows ago they own now around five percent of the M and A fee market, which is pretty good. I think that's grown. Um, I forget the rate. It was like thirty percent annually a year since or over the last ten years or so. One good thing I'll point out at Greenhill that Evercore did not do in terms of repurchasing shares. Uh, Evercore did. Greenhill did as well. But Greenhill's share count declined. Evercore's went up. So they're issuing a lot of options there to employees. You can see that maybe as a, you can paint it as a good thing. Maybe they're incentivized to work for the company. But you'd like to see the share count come down. That did happen at Greenhill. They do have a dividend that pays 3.5%. So maybe a little bit more shareholder-friendly at at Greenhill, maybe. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think. What's, <laughs> do, do you know what the geographic uh, distribution of Evercore's business is? It's... More centric in, in North America than Greenhill. Greenhill only around fifty percent North American clients. Uh, Europe around thirty percent. Right. Greenhill. I, I know Greenhill is very focused on Europe. So I wonder if if a lot of that year-over-year weakness was driven by the fact that we've seen 
more recovery here in North America than, than we've seen over in Europe. Actually, the opposite. Really? So Greenhill actually pointed out that they had a really Europe good year. Strength. They had a good year in Europe, whereas North American M&A was a little bit lackluster. Ah, I wonder if that means that they're losing market share there. We'll That'd see. A bummer. All right, the uh, first one that I looked at was Bank of Hawaii, uh, high-quality bank. Uh, one of the reasons that I was looking at it was Mike O'Neill helped turn this bank around in the early 2000s. Mike O'Neill is now the chairman of Citigroup, obviously helping uh, turn around there. Uh, bank of Hawaii had a 1.12% ROA for the fourth quarter. Uh, interesting of, of note because we've got a lot of uh, commentators saying here and there that banking will be a different business, can't earn the same kind of returns. 1.1% ROA, that's pretty solid, and uh, that's happening now. It is. So that's impressive. Uh, mortgage banking revenues down for the full year. Expected. Not too surprising. Uh, went from 35, almost $36 million in 2012 to $19 million, just a hair over $19 million in 2013. That's a pretty big drop. Um, what's interesting is that non-performing assets were at 0.65%. That's low but not for Bank of Hawaii. And they complained, they, they mentioned, management mentioned that non-performing assets were still high and stable because of the judicial foreclosure process in Hawaii. And that's an interesting point to think about when you've got more regionally focused banks uh, in terms of working through the problems of the financial takes crisis. a little bit longer. Depending on whether it's a judicial or non-judicial state where they have their concentrations. The non-judicial states, you can push the, the foreclosure process through much more quickly and easily. In the judicial states, it takes, uh, it's a little bit tougher and takes a little bit longer. Uh, all that said, it's a little bit difficult for, to look at Bank of Hawaii as a good bellwether for the rest of the banking industry because it's so focused in Hawaii. Right. Uh, Hawaii unemployment rate, the Hawaii unemployment rate, uh, at least as uh, Bank of Hawaii puts it, is at 4.4%. So that's got to be tough to live in Hawaii. Yeah, it's got to be uh, tough out there. All right, what, what was what was another one you looked at? Another one reported earnings this morning. Uh, New York Community Bank. Uh, typical quarter from this bank. Uh, return on tangible equity over fifteen percent. Continues to to pay the dividend. They're one of those banks that paid the dividend, didn't cut it during the financial crisis. So everything looks good at New York Community Bank Corp. The question is, they want to buy a bank. They want to make a big acquisition. They've said it quarter after quarter. We're working with regulators. We're paying the cost. We're getting everything ready. Mm. The question is just, what's the acquisition? What are they going to do? And the cloud for me is, are they going to overpay? I mean, when you talk about a big transformative acquisition, it's, are they going to pay the right price? Because it's obviously they're pretty desperate to get one here to get more deposits under under their um, it umbrella is about, here. Is it about getting a branch network and a stable deposit base? Right, because or over 30% of their assets are funded by wholesale funding. So they'd like it's to higher, higher costs and less stable, higher funding right? than kind of just your checking account. So they'd like to, to get another one in there. That's the biggest question for me. If they can make a good acquisition at the right price, I think this bank looks pretty good. Do you think it's, I, I wonder if it's possible for them to look at some of these banks that are closing branches or, or, or looking to pare down branch networks and potentially take on some of that as opposed to go through a big acquisition. But I guess, uh, the bank is already pretty big, so, mm-hmm. so if it's really looking for a big change, a big addition... And one of the issues is they're base. bumping right up against the, the $50 billion asset kind of level. So if you're going to go over, might as well. <laughs> right, where, where the Fed starts to pay a little bit more attention to you and how you do your dividend policy. So that's the question around this. So that, that also could be an issue of the, the efficiency ratio. Mm-hmm. We could see a little bit bump up uh, of the operating expenses if it goes over that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, since you did a grouping to start off, I'll group my final two. I looked at W.R. Berkeley and uh, Ace Group. 
Both of these are insurers. Uh, WR Berkeley, a smaller, uh, smallish specialty insurer. Um, from the press release, one of the things they noted, this is WR Berkeley, price increases are outpacing loss cost trends. And although the fourth quarter rate increases were not as strong as the full year, margins have expanded further. This is a theme that I've talked about a few times, that the pricing trends in primary insurance have been pretty good, and that's been helping uh, primary insurers. On the conference call, though, uh, management talked about the differentiation between the primary market and the reinsurance market, where the reinsurance market continues to be tough. You we're continuing to see capital flow in there, and pricing trends have not been favorable to reinsurers. Now, the hope is that at some point that'll, that'll improve, but it's questionable about how long that's going to take because we've got a lot of uh, sort of fundamental changes in the in the uh, reinsurance mm-hmm. market that are bringing additional capital into that market. Um, year-end portfolio duration at WR Berkeley was 3.3 years. So basically what that means is that the investment portfolio, the average lifespan of the investments was 3.3 years. That's actually pretty short. They're maintaining liquidity. They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about the idea that um, there's going to be better investment opportunities down the road. So they're maintaining a, a short duration mm-hmm. and higher liquidity so that they can protect themselves, basically. Um, the, um, and, and if you're, you're looking at the bottom line for WR Berkeley, year-over-year profit was down, but that was uh, investment gains year-over-year. So the, not that big of a deal. Uh, Ace, not too much to add, add here. Um, generally, this is a company with very strong underwriting, and we saw that in this quarter. Um, some pretty tepid investment returns and some hefty um, unrealized investment losses, and that has a lot to do basically everything to do right. with uh, interest rates. Not exactly a day-to-day business. So we're looking at six companies here, Evercore, Green Hill, what was it? New York Community Bancorp, Bank of Hawaii, WR Berkeley, and Ace. If you had to pick one of the group, who are you picking? Is, it, with, is it Evercore? I'll go with Evercore. Do you, own, you don't own any of these companies, I don't, right? no. Um, who would I? I might go, I could potentially go with Green Hill, maybe Bank of Hawaii, um, you know what, Ace. I'd, I'd like to take a closer look at Ace. Ace is run by Evan Greenberg. I'm pretty sure his first name's Evan. Evan Greenberg, that's actually the son of Hank Greenberg, Ooh, there you go. who uh, used to run AIG. Uh, very smart insurer there. Mailbag. We have an email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. Send us your questions. Send us your comments. Of course, send us your contest entries as well. Yes. Uh, we've got a question today from... Uh, Sitaram, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Sitaram. Uh, Sitaram asks, what's your opinion on digital realty, and is it better than your favorite stock, realty income? (laughs) I think he's directing that at me, because I said I was a fan of realty income. Uh, Well, defend yourself, David. So I'll say a few words about digital realty. Um, So this is is a REIT, like realty income, but they own uh, technology-related real estate, so big boring data centers that big companies use uh, that house all those servers. So they own the building, mm-hmm. and then these companies lease out space in there. Uh, it's a niche business. I don't think a lot of people are hankering to get into the data center REIT business. Big, well, there, the REIT, yeah. There, the REIT business. Uh, there are some smaller competitors. Digital Realty is kind of the biggest in that space. Uh, they, they're in some big markets, uh, concentrated in London, Silicon Valley. 94% of their properties are occupied, so they've got a pretty solid... Uh, base of leases rolling in. Looking at the stock, trades out around 11 times funds uh, from operations. That's kind of the net income and then adding back into depreciation, all that other REIT stuff. Uh, pretty reasonable uh, from, what, from what I can see. Six plus uh, percent dividend. So On digital, on digital realty? Yes. Okay. Not growing like crazy. You're going to see funds from operations 
maybe single digit growth going forward. So not great, but did you notice whether did, did the stock take a take a hit like a lot oh, of yeah. the other REITs? It's stocks? down around thirty percent over the last year or okay. so. So valuations lower, dividend looks pretty okay. I mean, six percent it sounds good in this environment. Maybe historically it's not great, mm-hmm. but I think it's a reasonable price for a business that seems to be doing pretty well. Do you like it better than your favorite? They're tied right now, maybe. They're tied. Edge goes to realty. You know what? Digital realty has been on sort of my periphery, my, my radar for, for a long time. I, I've never really taken a very close look at it. But uh, when I was in investment banking, one of the IPOs that I did was for a server company. Mm. So I ended up having to learn a lot about uh, servers and about um, uh, uh, data centers. Right. And it is it is big business. It's a complex business. Um, there's a lot that has to go into yeah. making sure that the, the power is there, the cooling is there, the security is there. Um, so, so it's a pretty interesting business to own uh, the data centers like that. And obviously, as we move further into an era of distributed computing, I think that's something that's going to be more important. It's not going away. No, it's not going away. Uh, we've got a game for today. Uh, that game is called Would You Rather? And I think that's pretty self-explanatory how that works. It is. First scenario we've got here is, would you rather, David, own Bank of the Ozarks or Bank of Internet? Bank of the Ozarks, you talked about that a couple shows ago. You really like it. You're a big fan of the Ozarks. But I'm going with Bank of Internet. Here. Are you really? I am. So don't get mad I, at me. I figured this was one that we were <laughs> going to agree on. No. Uh, Bank of the Ozarks trading at over three times book value. Bank, Bank of the Internet's Internet, so much like cheaper. Four right? times. But I... I look at the returns, they're similar, but you look at Bank of Internet's branch structure, or lack thereof, I mean, the cost basis for operating Bank of Internet is is great. I know you have questions whether they're going to be able to keep their deposits if other banks start offering good interest rates, but I think they will always be competitive here. The price doesn't look unbelievable to me, but if I was given a choice, I think I'm picking Bank of Internet here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Bank of the Ozarks easily. I, I think the management of Bank of the Ozarks, not exciting, but knows the banking business. They're bankers. They've done such a good job building this business slowly and steadily. And it, I think it's a little bit of an unknown what will happen with the acquisitions that they made over the past uh, few years. But those were advantaged acquisitions, mm-hmm. and I think that'll be a good thing for Bank of the Ozarks. Bank of Internet... I think there's a lot, there's opportunity there, but I think there are a lot of question marks too, and a lot of question marks that you just don't get compensated for in that price today. Um, and, and one of those is uh, we're, we're talking about New York Community Bank Corp looking to get a stronger, lower cost deposit base. Bank of the Internet, as as far as I know, has one of the lowest percentages of non-interest. Uh, deposits. And that makes sense because the way they've attracted their deposits is offering a higher rate. But when you think about the stability, when you think about the cost that they'll face as interest rates start to rise, I I think that'll be a significant test for Bank of Internet. All right. Second scenario. Number two. This is an interesting one. Would you rather sell J.P. Morgan shares or sell Zillow shares? Now, both of us own both of these companies, so I figured if you had to dump one, which is it going to be? Um, I would probably dump. Z- Say it. <laughs> I, I'll dump J.P. Morgan first. No, man, it's a tough call. Mm-hmm. I like them both. I like them both for different reasons. Um, I'll kick Zillow out first. I, I think J.P. Morgan to me is a more more known entity in terms of what I can expect from it in the future. Um, Zillow, I think there's a lot of potential upside. Um, there's a lot of potential downside too. How about you? I'm going to sell J.P. Morgan just because 
I'm a young guy. I got some investments that are, I think, more stable in, in my portfolio. I think I can take the chance that Zillow becomes something bigger than just the online marketplace that they get their hands into other areas of the housing market. It's a $3 billion company. I mean, you look at the housing market, this has potential to be much bigger than $3 billion. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough call. I, I like both of the businesses. All right, last scenario of would you rather... You're surprising me with a... Uh, would you rather sleep that. in a bed with a snake or swim in a pool with a shark? What kind of snake is it? A cobra. A cobra. So basically you're dying in either case. Um, is, the, is it a pool? It's a pool, right? It's like a backyard pool. And backyard. There's, a shark. there's a great white shark. Backyard pool. And he hasn't eaten for I think I think the news story is much better if I get eaten by a shark in a pool than just a snake bites so you're me. Going. I'm going with shark in the pool. I'm going with shark in the pool, too. You can at least, like, punch it in the eye, maybe. A cobra. Oh, you, oh you're not getting you're away. <laughs> in either case, you're not getting away. I'm not even bothering with the punching. I'm just wait, waiting to be on Shark Week. Okay. That would be a, I would be on Shark Week for the rest of my life. You would, definitely. All right, finishing off in the Twitter sphere, uh, we're on Twitter, at TMF Financials. David, what's our first tweet? First and last tweet is a tweet to us at TMF Financials from Whoa. Matthew Sir, Help me out. Syriac. Syriac. I didn't want to butcher it. Why all the love for Visa and MasterCard and none for Amex? Is vertical integration of Amex hurting or helping? Hashtag bow ties are cool. Oh, you bet they are. Oh, you bet they are. So all the love for Visa and MasterCard. I think you like Visa and MasterCard better than Amex. Why? Is it price? It's more of a pure play on the payment the payment system and the technology of the, the payment processing or the the, um, the payment system, mm-hmm. rather, lack of a better way of putting it, as opposed to Amex, which is a little bit of both. You've got kind of the, the payment system, but then you've also got the more banking aspect of it. Um, and the, the, the current price, the multiple that you're paying on, on Amex, just, I don't know. And, and to be fair, maybe I just haven't taken a close enough look at Amex and I'm missing something about it. Uh, but as of right now, yeah, I probably prefer Visa and MasterCard business-wise. I actually own American Express of those three. It's the only oh, one I shocking. do own. Uh, so yeah, over 50% of its revenue... something new about you. Over 50% of its revenue comes from the type of fees that MasterCard and Visa generate, the, the discount, the merchant discount fees uh, that they get there. Then their next one is the interest that they get from credit cards and then the fees that they charge on their card cardholders. So they have a more diversified mix of revenue, which I kind of like. I mean, we talk about... Maybe Visa and MasterCard being disrupted by Bitcoin. I don't know if that'll happen. But uh, I I like how Amex owns the whole relationship. It's harder for them to scale up Mm -hmm. since they own the the credit part and they actually have to find credit-worthy customers to give money to. But they're they're branching out with some partnerships on that, right? They They are. They have a partnership with Wells Fargo, I believe. Right. And they work with with Walmart for the Bluebird card. So they are have their hands in in, in different areas there. Uh, I think the price is pretty reasonable. It's not cheap right now. It's run up a little bit because it's a really high-quality business. Uh, but I like Amex. I'm sorry not to give it any love. Well, there you go. All right. Well, that's the show for today. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. You can find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financials. And, of course, you can find us on iTunes. Go ahead. Give us a rating. Uh, let everybody know that you love us. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This over here is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.